You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to take a moment and let you know about Pipeline West. Yeah, that's right. You heard me. We are going to sunny Orange County, California, February 22 to 23. We're going to be having our main day event with speakers like Kerry Newhoff, Albert Tate, Eric Geiger, Tom Rayner, and many more. The next day, we'll be then having a full day of coaching to help you learn and implement Pipeline at your church. So be sure to register before October 31st for our super early bird rates and bring your family. Let's hang out at the beach, at the conference. It's going to be great. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. My name is Daniel M, and I'm here with Todd Adkins. And we are together again, together at last with Will Heath. (laughs) Now, if you didn't hear our last episode on Succession, you're going to have to go and download that and and listen to that first. Or if you were a complete loser and did not come to the Pipeline conference, (laughs) loser, or watch it online. Yeah. Uh, well, I, that's I, strong. That that's was strong. Really strong language. That was strong. I'll, I'll bring that back because you still have an opportunity to go back and look at that or download it or get the whatever digital download yeah. something. Or come to West Coast. Oh, we haven't really talked no. about West Coast. Okay. We'll just leave it at that and yeah. we'll let people go on the website. Pipeline West Coast. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you go on myleadershippipeline.com and figure out what that's all about. But we are here to talk again with Will Heath. Okay. So if you're a regular podcast listener, you've already listened to an amazing podcast where we really took a deep dive into succession. We are going to take another deep dive into uh, succession this time, except really think more about uh pastoral succession. Last time we talked about succession at every level because the pipeline conference was about creating succession at every level, not replacement, reproduction. Yeah. And so uh, Will has had vast and sundry experience in these matters. And uh, I've asked him not to name names, but he will be telling uh, a few real life stories. It's going to be juicy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Will, um, you've already introduced yourself once, so I don't know. Uh, tell us, if you were a shoe, what would you be? Wow. Flip-flops. <laughs> Flip-flops? That's strong. If what you were a candy there? bar, what would you be? Uh, Heath bar. It's my last name. <laughs> Boom. We, uh, I, get fa- I, get, I get half a penny. He could do this all day, so Daniel. Okay, all okay. Day. No, but this is, a real, this is the most important okay. question. If you were an ice cream flavor, what would you be? Chocolate, baby. I chocolate. Chocolate Trinity. Oh, I like mint chocolate. Uh, now, if you're lucky enough to live next to a Publix, it is a Publix brand, but Chocolate Trinity is absolutely... Absolutely like like mint. dark chocolate, mint it's chocolate with chocolate, chocolate chips. It's like chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Ooh, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. And you can teach your kids about the Trinity. That's how that's how I do it. <laughs> All right. Well, children, <laughs> they're blessed. <laughs> After talking about uh, theological concepts using ice cream, let's talk about pastoral <laughs> transition. So, Will. All right. So let's start with a story. You. I love stories. You want TMZ. (laughs) He is not able to give us. Yes, but don't go. Pastoral TMZ. But, you know, can you share a story of a successful succession without having too much TMI? There you go. TMI, TMZ. Uh, Is it Z or Z? 
Yeah, if you want to go the TMZ route, I can share some horror stories as well, but I will not. Um, I will not name names. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you one. Uh, one of my favorite clients, um, actually, one of my first clients. The first time I met with their elders uh, was in two thousand and uh, would have been two thousand and thirteen, <clears> and met with them. They immediately here's the situation: you have a founding pastor, um, mega church. It is multiple locations. Both campus pastors are legitimate successors, and so coming to them, uh, one of their one of their biggest areas of of uh, attention was how do we identify one successor, pick one of the campus pastors, and then not completely split our church in half along campus boundaries. Wow, huge, yeah, huge issue. Um, so what, what happened in the next, between 2013 and 2016, in addition to wrestling through that question, they also had um, uh, two other key pastors uh, feel like that God was leading them to plant churches. Their executive pastor, who had helped them just in incredible ways, decided to go back into secular employment. And so now within a, within a pretty short period of time, not only are they having to try and navigate pastor who who's going to be the next pastor and everybody has a pretty strong opinion um they're also having a pretty high level of staff turnover none of it's bad it's all very healthy things it's just the timing of it's very awkward well one of the big breakthroughs for them was this idea unlocking the idea that a pastoral transition isn't necessarily a one-to-one replacement meaning Hmm, interesting. A lot, of, a lot of people think that, okay, we go, we, we lose a pastor, we hire a pastor one-to-one. So what they actually did is they, they moved very intentionally over a period of time, uh, focused on their organizational structure. And now formally starting in, in January of this year is when Bill formally transitioned out. And he, he is now kind of on a 12-month sabbatical time frame before he reengages in the church. Um, they moved to a co-lead pastor model. And, and they've completely revamped their organizational structure. It's I think incredibly successful. It's interesting to me that, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure people's polity is all over the map who listen to the podcast, but it's interesting to me um, the number of conversations I'm beginning to have about uh, plurality of leadership. Uh, it's 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 in every single conversation that I have with churches. One hundred percent of my clients are asking the question about organizational structure and questioning that typical model of if it's a solo pastor or not. One hundred percent of my pastors. In fact, um, I have another. I, uh, it's a it's a First Baptist church somewhere in the United States. Uh, the pastor is probably four years away from retiring, but they I spent a lot of time with their staff last summer. They're actually preparing to go from one pastor to a co-lead pastor team of three people in a Southern Baptist, First Baptist Church context. And so they've got a lot of work to do in relationship to their polity and, and just kind of building that culture and preparing the, the preparing for that. But that's exactly what they're doing. And this is a church of less than 700 people. So let me ask this question. What can a church do to maintain continuity in a season of pastoral transition? We gave you an easy question now. Yeah. Solomon struggled with this himself back in Ecclesiastes chapter two. Yeah. He said, he's like, hey, you know, 
you know, it's vanity. You know, I've I, I led with wisdom and, and skill and, and who knows if the guy that follows me is going to be a fool or not. Right. And you know, we all know how is, that turned out. <laughs> yeah. You know, he listened that, to his friends and not wise counsel. Yeah. Yeah. That question is one of the, you know, about seven years away from a pastor contemplating um, their transition, they start to develop a knot. And in some cases they develop an ulcer and, and it's not, be, and in many cases it's not because they're just trying to hold on and they're being control freaks. They, they are genuinely concerned that when they transition, that their transition will do harm to the church. And so they want, they, they just begin asking critical questions. Okay. How can we transition so that our church can actually pick up momentum through transition and not become stagnant during the transition? And so a lot of a lot of pastors really struggle with that. And so when when I talk to churches that are contemplating that question, I talk about four four key ideas. Oh, cool. One is go ahead. No, that's uh, that's good. We love uh, just really straight practical takeaways. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Organiza- number one, organizational stability. This is things like governance, facilities, finances, programming, organizational structure. It's a lot of the behind the scenes questions that pastors really don't get excited about talking about, but they're fundamentally critical. So when the organizational stability conversation helps a church evaluate, are they organizationally prepared to navigate a season of transition? And so they're spending a very intentional time. A lot of times my suggestion is to start evaluating those things about five years ahead of time. Hmm. Uh, so organizational stability. Number two is organizational identity. Um, a lot of times it's very common for the identity and the ethos of the church to mirror the personality and the passion of its key leader, of yeah. the senior leader. And so you take that person away and then all of a sudden um, it's, it's not a surprise then that a church would struggle with its identity when their pastor, their long tenure pastor is gone. And so, you know, Oxano is, is, is really the, the thought leader in this category of, 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 of identity and vision clarity and, and just helping a church as weird as it may sound, helping a church introduce itself to itself. Who are you as a collective group of people without the pastor? Todd. Here's Todd. (laughs) Hey. Here's Todd. Stand in the mirror. Uh, So number three is direction. It's just, does the church have an overarching sense of where it's going? Mm. This is one of the the leading reasons why churches um, uh, experience what I refer to as just the unintentional interim where they, they, they really don't have a clue where they're going, but they hire a really young, energetic or, or skilled, experienced leader because the church doesn't have direction. This leader brings personal preference to that conversation and they want to shape and architect the church around their personal passions. And, and, and it's no surprise you wake up 12, 18 months later, there's tension. The guy can't get any traction on where he's going. Because because he's trying to lead them in a direction the church isn't fundamentally designed to maintain or invest in. And so so when churches don't have a clarity on where they're going, at least at least let's define the playing field. Are we playing football or are we playing soccer? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, when they can't do that, they really increase their the likelihood that they're going to hire an incredible pastor for somebody else's church. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be problems. And the last one is just movement. Um, do not, not, so do we have a clear sense of, are we prepared organizationally stability? Are we, do we have a sense of who we are? 
do we do we have just directionally do we have an idea of where God's taking us but then next is do we have a history or a pattern of implementation a rhythm of the way that we go about doing things making key strategic decisions as a church do we know do we know what we want to accomplish in the next year to three years to five years do, do we have a sense of that and, and if there is a sense of that then what can happen and what does happen is the pastoral transition is an important piece, but it's not the only thing the church is trying to accomplish long term. And so, when the pastoral transition is a part of an of a broader um, kind of focus, strategic focus that's that's scaled out over the next one, five, seven, ten years, however long it is, then what that does is it helps the church body understand transition in context of the broader picture of God's redemptive yeah. movement and what He's doing. Okay, so so with the with the third point, something just came up to me, and and this relates to our next question, which is how can a leader navigate the transition well? Because uh, tra- you know transition well, because part of it is you look at all the pastorates right now of of many churches many churches whose uh, senior leader is going to be retiring in the next five, 10 years. And then you have a lot of late twenties, thirties, early 40 year olds who are like, Hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm next in line or, you know, I'm, I've, I've just been hired at this church. I've been identified as a successor or others who are, who are, you know, that, that are going to be placed in that position. What, what kind of advice can you give to that leader to not be the one that, burns out after 12 and eight, 12 to 18 months and, and is the unintentional interim. Like how, what advice would you give to that person? Cause there's going to be a lot of leaders one too. So yeah. hopefully we make it through all five questions. Yeah, Cause there's a lot I'm, of leaders that yeah. are going to be, that, that need to know you this. You spun off another idea for me. <laughs> so we'll answer that question. And then I got one. Yeah. So, so let me answer it by recapping a conversation I literally had yesterday with a, with a guy that's going to be taking the mantle at a church pretty soon. And, and a lot of his angst and a lot of the questions he's asking himself is how does he establish authority as the new pastor, especially following someone that is an incredible leader, very respected guy, very visible guy in, the, in his denomination and, and, and around the country. And so he's asked, he's literally wrestling with the question like, OK, when's it appropriate for me to do this? When's it appropriate for me to do this? And, and he's processing all of those things. And in the, the, the piece of advice that I gave him on the phone yesterday, and I could almost feel the tension just kind of leave him, was I said, I, I, you're asking the right question, but I want to introduce another question for you to pro- another word for you to process. And let's not so focus so much on authority to make decisions. Let's focus on what it means to establish influence. And a lot of guys, what happens with younger leaders, they go in, they're kind of like Tommy Boy, you know, the whole sales moves, like I love it and I squeeze it and it ends up wrecking the car, right? In the movie. Um, you know, that a lot of young pastors come in and they want to overcompensate their inexperience by trying to do, do too much too quickly. And so they move to the question of authority and responsibility and implementing vision. And they don't ever stop to really consider what it takes to build influence in the body of a church in a new context. And, and, and man, you know, if you think about it, if you have a church that has a, a leadership structure of 150 people that are core leaders in your church, there's probably 120 family units. Okay. It, it literally will take a pastor a year meeting with people to build relational equity to earn the right to influence the way that they invest in the church. Okay. 
Well, and two, I think it's crazy interesting that you bring up, you brought up Solomon in the very beginning, because if you look at Rehoboam, I thought you were going to talk about Tommy Boy, that you're, you're fascinated that he brought up Tommy Boy. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. (laughs) No, because we could very quickly digress into, um, into, uh, uh, quotes from said movie, but I was going back to scripture, Daniel. And looking at Rehoboam, because Rehoboam did that very thing. Like, instead of listening to uh, the sage advice of his father, uh, for first and foremost, but then the um, the the elders, he listened to his his boys, and he told, do you remember what he yeah, talked about? Yeah, I don't yeah, even know yeah. if I can oh, say I it on the that. podcast. No, I remember this. Um, you know, basically, yeah. well, I won't say what he said. You guys know what he said. Um, but he really uh, bowed up. And, you know, tried to lead in a extremely authoritarian manner and, you know, got yeah. tossed out on his ear. Okay, so, so if I hear you correctly, Will, you're, you're saying, because I've heard some people say, hey, you're a brand new leader. That's the best time to, you know, change things around, start things up, new initiatives. So you're saying if you're coming after a long tenured pastor, pastor to not be an unintentional interim, you're suggesting that they build Influence, maybe, maybe, maybe take it more of a, an, a lateral leadership type of approach rather than more of like this authoritarian. I'm now finally the senior pastor, and I'm going to say uh, this: is what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tell you, I tell you what. You know, again, a couple of things. It's a, it, 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 it amazes me, but it doesn't. How many churches hire someone, bring them in, and tell them lead us? But the church has no idea who they are before they ask the leader to, to lead them. Yeah. And then when the leader pr- starts to provide leadership, they start to back off and say, well, no, that's not what we wanted. Yeah. Right. And so so because young leaders, they they actually believe that the church has conviction about who they are and where they're going. Yeah. They believe the church is somewhat stable. Mm-hmm. Right. They believe that everybody there is excited that they're there. And, and, and I'm just saying it's, you know, I've heard that same thing as well when you, you know, hey, while you're in the honeymoon period, fire off some arrows kind of thing. Go try some stuff. Right. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, man, that the, if you're being hired to be that guy. OK. But if you're not being hired to be that guy, then yeah. my caution is just very simply you, you need to make sure you're building relational equity with a church, with the leadership structure. I'll give you a story. Um, pastor, I won't say his name. Um, he was with a, he's in a, a, a conference setting and somebody asked him, said, hey, he followed a very, very prominent, very public figure. Somebody asked him, looking back, what would you have done differently um, uh, as you reflect back on when you started in your new position? And he said, I wish I wouldn't have preached for the first three months and I would have visited the, the campus Bible studies and area volunteers for my first three months on the job. Hmm. That'd be good. Really good. And, that's yeah. age advice. That's huge advice, but that's all about, and what he's tapping into is because, because what happened, he's a very authoritarian person, but he had no influence and he knew that the way he would build influence, influence follows relational connection. And so pastors think that just because they stand up and cast vision that people love them. Well, that, that's not necessarily how influence works. Yeah. And so, uh, build so focusing on influence, establishing influence, not and 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 set aside uh, and temper our desire as young leaders to come in and focus on authority, 
Yeah. Okay. That's, that's awesome. So, so we'll, when, so, so let's switch back into the seat of a senior leader or a senior leadership team saying, okay, I, I, I have a couple of years left, a, a little bit of runway, and then I'm going to be uh, moving on and, and handing this off. Now, whether the senior leader is 65 or 45, there's this idea of a transition plan that the, the leader has. What, what key areas would you coach a leader to consider when it comes to developing a transition plan? Uh, first and foremost, their spouse. What, what's your spouse thinking? Hmm. Um, are you, are, are you two in the same page? Um, are you going through a transition with your wife or are you going to implement a transition and drag your spouse with you? Um, so relational health there. Number, number two is especially with older leaders, um, not so much with mid-career transitions because usually this this is resolved. But but an older retirement-based transition, being absolutely clear about what you're transitioning to. Yeah, and if you're going to stay in the same place, or if you're going to move, or you know. uh, abs- yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what what is the next? What are you and your spouse on the same page? Number two, do you have a clear sense of what you're going to go do? Because ministry doesn't stop when a pastor's no longer the lead pastor. Ministry keeps going, and they're they're, they're still they're still a pastor. You can't that that never stops. So what 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 is their next season of influence going to be? Um, so succession planning isn't the last great thing a leader does. Succession planning is actually the gateway to a leader's greatest season of influence. Yeah, I mean, we had Bob. Um, Bob Russell. Yeah, Bob Russell on who's, who's well earlier in the summer. Yeah, it's part of the pipeline yeah. week. Yeah, it was. It was an and just what he's doing now. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, over the last yeah. uh, is it eight years? Uh, yeah. Over the last eight years? No, it was eleven years. Eleven years. Uh, he's taken like eight guys uh, out every month. Goes to a camp uh, north of Louisville there, and just takes eight young pastors out and invests in them for a weekend. Um, supports yeah. them. Always leaves his door open. And you know, there he's still got gas in the tank, oh, man. Completely. And he's going to have a thousand under his belt before too long. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good deal. So let's let's get to our our last question, Don. So, what are the biggest reasons churches struggle in the area of pastoral transition? Whew. Um, one is is kind of what we talked about in our previous podcast uh, that we did. What is just our language is unclear. Our language is a barrier, and so I mean, listeners can go back and unpack that a little bit. Um, I, I think an, another another big barrier um, is that we don't have uh, it's it, leaders can imagine a process and develop communication strategies and influence people to raise money to build a building, or they can imagine what it would take. And they can lead change to change discipleship structures and change worship styles. Uh, church pastors lead change and transition their entire ministry. That's true. Then they get to the point of contemplating their transition. And all of a sudden, all of their visionary capacity goes out the door. <laughs> and no longer can see the other side of their transition. Mm. And... And I just I think one of the big barriers is is that our, we have a hard time 
um, visualizing our own transition. We don't know what that looks like. And, and either that is because of ignorance or we paid so much attention to the horror stories out there. We're not aware of the incredible stories of transition that are taking place. Um, or in some cases, the pastors, the pulpit has become, it's become idolatry and they're, uh, they're not leading from spiritual health. They're leading from personal preservation. Um, like, like, uh, you know, Hezekiah, 25 years old, takes a chainsaw of the Asherah pole and has the audacity to break the bronze serpent. Fast forward to chapter 21, and man, he said basically when Isaiah says, "Hey, man, you're gonna you're gonna have 15 years of peace or whatever time frame that is," he said, "Okay, as 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 long as there's peace in my lifetime, I don't really care what happens to the future of Israel." And so, so a guy over the course of his ministry there in Scripture had lost his zeal and his passion for ministry, and it all became all about preserving his his place. Yeah. And he was living for peace in his final season. And so that, that there's, there's a lot of spiritual stuff going on in the heart of a leader. That mm. One of the big reasons that pastors and churches struggle is because the pastors don't deal with the very deep angst that is happening in their soul. Yeah. So no, no. Okay. So I totally, totally right. Cause you even just look at Jesus and how he was tempted uh, in the desert before his ministry and how Satan was trying to tempt him to define himself by who, you know, who he knew, <laughs> whose yeah. son he, uh, you know, and then, and the whole idea is w- what he's done. And, you know, just this whole idea of, Hey, your identity, your identity is what you do. Your identity is what you've done. Your identity is what you have. And, and it's so, I mean, regardless of whether you're 65 or 25, those are some of those issues that as a Christian leader, you need to really solidify to not, to not attach your identity and your well being and your sense of self-worth into what you are doing because we're human beings not human doings right but secondly my question to you will is how much do you think it's just as you get older you get more set in your ways and you're less inclined to change and you don't really want you know like how, how much does just growing older come into uh, the, the equation of saying, hey, may, yeah, earlier on I led change, earlier on I transitioned. And it's this idea of, oh, you're learning, right? So let's say you're early 20s, 30s, and you're like, oh, I'm learning, learning. I don't really know much about discipleship. I don't really know much about evangelism. So you're learning and you're trying and you're introducing change. But by the time you're in your 60s and your 70s, you're like, well, I know, I know it all kind of, but I don't really know transition because I've never really done it. And, and, and paralysis sets in there. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You, you know, that's, that's not my client. I, I actually taught my, that, that is not a barrier for my clients. Okay. And, and probably okay. that's why they're calling me is because that's not a barrier. I mean, the guy that is set in his ways probably isn't going to call me. Right. Um, but okay. my experiment, when I talk to pastors and leaders all over the country, they're, they're rolling their sleeves up and they want to go to work. Okay. Now, now their, their challenge is the bare part of the mental block for them is they don't know where, where their philosophy of ministry and how to lead the organization was formulated off of experience that happened decades prior. Right. So the mental barrier to them is, well, okay, so I don't know how to think about organizational structure in today's economy and in today's strategy. But mm. so they're acknowledging that they're that they don't that they're struggling with some concepts, but they're not backing away from the conversation. 
at least the people that are that I'm that I'm speaking with. Um, I'm sure that's happening, but. You know, I, I think I think I want I want to give more credit to an older generation of leaders that are contemplating their transition. These pastors, by and large, what I see and what I experience are pastors who want to transition well. They want to invest in a process. The big barrier is they just don't know what that looks like because they've never retired. They cannot see it. Yeah. And, and they're disconnecting their decades of experience from this moment. And, and what I want, part of what I do is I just redeem the wisdom that they already have and help them see how to apply it in, in this next season. Love that. I think what's most interesting to me, Will, as you've been talking, uh, I keep going back to the, the second question where you broke down, hey, here's, you know, four, four things to really focus on to maintain continuity. Um, and that was stability, uh, organizational stability, organizational identity, organizational direction, organizational movement. And sometimes I think we get so caught up um, when a pastor has a long tenure, it's it's the gravitas of the train that has been moving for so many years um, can keep someone from having uh, those things in place. I mean, what you talked about, every church should have in place. It's just a healthy situation. It's a healthy church to have stability, identity, direction, and movement figured out. And so, you know, for me, I'm like, wow, if if I'm talking to somebody or if somebody's listening and they're thinking about, you know, transitioning in five or 10 years, one of the biggest things they can do is just go ahead and shore it up for the next guy. Shore up your stability, shore up your identity, your direction and movement. Is that is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And in those conversations, I wouldn't even talk about retirement. I would just act like I'm running the organization and we need to be a healthy organization. That's very, very good. And I think that's a great place for us to end because mm -hmm. no matter whether you're going to transition, you know, in five months, five years or, you know, 25 years. Uh, I, I think that's a, a great place for us to end today. So thanks, Will, so much for being on again. Um, we, uh, as you probably already know from various podcasts, uh, Oxano is a sister organization to Lifeway Leadership. Um, we partner on a number of different things, including yeah. uh, Pipeline and mm -hmm. uh, several things. So uh, if you don't already know those guys, uh, check them out and you can find uh, Will very quickly and easily at his blog and also through Oxano. Uh, thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the five leadership questions podcast. Be sure to join us in California this February for pipeline West. If you register you and your team soon, then you can take advantage of the super early bird pricing. Once again, that's myleadershippipeline.com. We'll see you there.